Welcome to the Real Catholic Man podcast. Real Catholic Man is a podcast whose mission is to learn together and to encourage and fortify Catholic men to seek a principled life. Strong men are incredibly important in our lives and in the Catholic faith. Now more than ever, we need a strong male presence in our Catholic community. We need real men who are not afraid to stand up for their beliefs, hold each other accountable, and spread the word that men need each other. Our families and our church need us to be as strong as we possibly can be. How are we supposed to embrace our manhood in the midst of a culture that is constantly trying to attack us? We will attempt to answer that question and help each other to this and many other dilemmas. And we will do this together. Each week, we will feature guests who will propel us along our journey to becoming the best and strongest men we can be so that we can go back into our homes, our families, our parishes, and our communities and sanctify the world. Please come join us along this journey as we learn and grow together and as we renew our commitment to being strong male role models. My name is Ryan Ayala, and welcome to another episode of Real Catholic Man. The traditional Latin Mass, what is it? Who goes there? If I start attending the Mass, will I become a hater of the papacy? Will I all of a sudden get forced to join a rebellious, rebellious cult of Catholics? Or is it time to progress forward and abandon the 1962 Roman Missal? Should the Catholic Church consider taking elements of the Latin Mass and adding it to the ordinary form of the Mass? I want to go to the Latin Mass, but I'm afraid to. I don't know how to. What if I'm judged? What if my children are too noisy? Well, if you ever wondered about the traditional Latin Mass today, we are happy to have husband, father, theologian, and friend, Mr. Rocky Britton, to our show. So before we begin, uh, let's begin as we ought to begin all things, which is in prayer. And for today, because of the topic of the uh, of our podcast show today, let's pray the um, Hail Mary in Latin. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Welcome, Rocky. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I grew up in Phoenix, one of 11. Uh, number four, five boys, six girls. Um, I went to Thomas Coins College uh, where I got my um, bachelor's. And then I went to Ave Maria where uh, I studied theology and did graduate work there in theology. Um, then I came back to, to Phoenix and taught at St. Mary's for four years. Um, and then I just recently moved to Colorado Springs where me and a couple other people started a Catholic classical high school here. Um, I'm married. I met my beautiful wife, Caitlin, at, at Thomas Coins College, and we have three wild boys, Roman Alaric, Lavrens Wojtyla, and Killian Moses. That's wonderful. Well, thanks for, thanks for joining us today. So I invited Rocky onto our show because um, he'll never say this because he's too humble, but he's also a the, he, he's theologically precise when he speaks. Um, words aren't wasted when it comes to uh, Mr. Rocky Britton. So Today, the discussion is on the traditional Latin mass, and uh, it's a hot topic. It's the kind of the liturgical elephant in the room or the ecclesial elephant in the room because a lot of people are talking about it. And 
Um, this is kind of providential in a way, but uh, you know, Shia LaBeouf, if you've, if you, if you've mm. been around social media, if you kind of yeah. see what's going on, mm. he's uh, brought this conversation to the forefront, uh, having this profound sort of conversion after doing Padre Pio, uh, uh, acting Padre Pio for the new movie. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people are talking about the Latin mass. Um, mm-hmm. But before we before we kind of really dig into some of the theological realities of the Latin mass, the liturgical realities of the Latin mass, Rocky, can you tell us what exactly is the traditional Latin mass? So yeah, so the um, what's known as the traditional Latin mass until the 1960s would have just been called mass or the Roman rite, right? And now we have extraordinary form. We have usus antiquior. We have traditional Latin mass. We have Latin mass. Um, but it's the uh, Roman rite that developed um, from really since the Last Supper, <laughs> right, till through the centuries, um, slowly gathering to itself um, rituals and prayers and different ways of different aspects of the Mass that kind of almost like the clothing of the Mass, right? The Christ gave us the the heart of the mass, which is the transubstantiation, which is the words of institution, right? But the whole mass is a sacrifice. Then slowly over centuries, um, the church gathered to itself these, these more august and beautiful and reverent ways of celebrating the sacrifice, ultimately culminating in it being codified in 1570 um, um, in the, in the uh, papal decree of Cor Primum. And then um, it was untouched really until the 1940s. Um, and then, yeah, that's, and so after Vatican II, when we have the, the Novus Ordo, right, now we kind of have, um, you might say like two forms of the Roman Rite, but the, the traditional Latin Mass was, you went to Mass, that's what you got for the first, you know, um, it's certainly, it's, it's been more or less totally intact. So the canon from the Our Father to the, um, sorry, from the, from the Sanctus to the Our Father, the canon hasn't been touched since the sixth century, right? It was, we have that since the sixth century and many other parts we see pop up century here, century there, right? But what we celebrate in the traditional Austrian mass today is identical to what was done in 1570 and pretty much the same as what was done from a thousand AD to now um, and largely similar in other aspects from way before that as well. Now, did you grow up in the Latin Mass community? What what inspired you to start attending the Latin Mass community? Yeah, no, I grew up um, just going to a uh, wow. parish. Um, my first real experience that I can remember going to the traditional Latin Mass was at Thomas Cornish College. I sang in Mascola. Um, but then it wasn't really on my radar. I obviously recognized that it was beautiful, um, but it was also at 7.15. And... <laughs> <laughs> had, and which isn't too early for mass but we had to practice an hour before and so you know so it's kind of like I never really got um went a whole bunch um except for that year when I was in the scola but it didn't become really something that I was uh really um moved by and devoted to until my wife and I went about three four three years ago to um a misa cantata on the feast day of St. Joseph and we were just absolutely blown away by um, really every aspect of the mass um, and just kind of started going really for the organic reason that it was just so good for our faith. It was good for our prayer life. It was good for our family life. It was good for our relationship. We felt like we were being fed spiritually in a way that we hadn't before. Um, and so then going there more consistently, then I started looking into it and the theological significance of the mass and all the different things that were in the TLM that I don't find in Novus Ordo and 
then it was it's kind of game over for me after that. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. You, it's interesting you mentioned that. So my wife and I we we attended the local Latin mass uh-huh. here in Phoenix, and um, just kind of a few things that kind of struck us was first off the amount of young people who are attending the the mass. Right. Um, I know the, the the Latin mass parish here uh, mission here. I think over sixty percent are younger than twenty one years old. And it's so awesome. it, it's, it's just, it's just blowing up. And uh, I was really moved by that, that the, that the young people are coming to this very ancient form mm-hmm. of, of, of the mass. The other thing I was really moved by was, um, and I want you to speak more a little about this, but uh, really the reverence of the mass. Yeah. One of the things that's very, one of the things that's, that's very clear when you go to the Latin mass or when you observe the Latin mass and the kind of scene, everything, every mm-hmm. single part of the Latin mass touches or points to the majesty and transcendence of God. Everything you can't find one thing that does not point to God. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that is that is that pretty is that pretty fair to say, Rocky? Yeah, I mean, and it's you look at any one aspect of the mass, and you're like this, and you just you're you're so blown away at the care and the um, the the reverence and the focus. And that it's, it's very clear that each part has its specific purpose um, to lead us to an understanding of the divine realities. Um, and when you think about how could something be so amazing? Well, it didn't happen overnight, right? It took centuries and centuries and centuries and centuries for it to have this final form that we enjoy it in, right? But it came to this final form by the greatest saints and priests and holy men and women of God being part of it and and organically bringing to it things which they thought best signified these realities, right? They think about why is it that the mass is so wonderful? First and foremost, because of what it is, it's a sacrifice, right? But if you think about all the quote unquote trappings of the mass, it's not a good w- word for it, but the other part that's not specifically the the sacrifice itself or the consecration itself. Um, they were inspired by men like um, St. Benedict and Gregory the Great and St. Augustine and St. Ambrose and St. Thomas Aquinas and Francis of Assisi. I mean, it's like, how could it not be amazing, right? <laughs> um, and one sign from just culture of it, right, that the greatest art, architecture, and music in, in the history of the world all all of it was for the sake of trying to make something worthy of the Latin mass, wow. right? Think about the greatest architecture in the world. It's basilicas and cathedrals and things like that, right? The greatest art in the world is, is sacred art, right? Whether you're Catholic or Muslim or, or pagan or an atheist or whatever, right? You kind of want to go see the Sistine Chapel right? or you're moved by the Pieta. Right, it's the greatest art and the greatest music, polyphonic hymns and Gregorian chants, the most beautiful music there is, and it's all just to try to make something worthy of the Latin Mass. Um, but I completely agree that every aspect of it is so clearly nothing is wasted. No, there's no downtime. There's no um, unnecessary silence or unnecessary movement or any word that's not specifically trying to bring us to the Father. Everything. One of my friends who is a music director, but he's a music director for Novus Ordo Mass, uh, mm-hmm. Novus Ordo 
liturgy, uh, but when he does teach about sacred music, one of his sort of teaching techniques is that he plays a scene from the Passion of Christ yeah. where Jesus is dying, and he mutes the the film, and on and then he then he presses he uses a piece of music, a very contemporary piece of music, I don't know, like Our God is Greater or something like that. Yeah, plays that, and then he turns that off and then plays another classical or sacred music, Mozart's Requiem or something like that. And then he asks the students, like, which one better represents or kind of points to this reality of Jesus dying on the cross? Yep. Um, I did the same thing with my students. Clear. Yeah, yeah. And actually, you'll see, even with students, young students, because I've done that with my young students before, um, who don't like very good music, in, in my estimation, right? So it's not like they only listen to classical music and polyphonic hymns, right? They're listening to modern stuff. Um, and I play that music for them together with like, you know, maybe a scene from the passion or an image of the crucifix or something. And they are embarrassed. Right? They're <laughs> yeah. embarrassed and they can't help it. They're just like, yeah, this, I have no argument here. <laughs> um, even when they say things like it helps me, right? And never stopping to answer the ask ask the question, let alone answer it, but ask the question: Is that how you should be helped? Mm. Right. Mm. Um, we don't we don't get to decide as laymen of uh, the proper way to worship God. Right. right. We don't get to decide that. It's like, oh, this works for me. Doesn't matter. Right. The church tells you how to worship. Right. The sacraments tell you how to worship. Christ teaches us how to worship through the sacraments. Right. So if you like drums in your mass, um, well, then you need to stop and ask the question, should I like drums in the mass? Right? right. Even if it does help you. And I don't doubt that some people are moved on an emotional level. Right. But there's a right way to be moved. and There's a wrong way. That's right. Now, before we kind of talk a little bit about the mass as being sacrificed, because I think understanding that is so key. You know, I've had liturgical discussions for the past 12 years. I studied ad orientum, mm -hmm. the liturgical posture for many, many years. Mm -hmm. um, it's historical and liturgical significance. But one of the things I've, I've realized when I've tried to talk to people about liturgy, especially people who maybe, you know, do not prefer the Latin mass or think of the traditional things as kind of backwards and all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I have, I, I've, I've realized that they probably don't understand mass as being sacrifice. Mm -hmm. But then if I take a step back, I also realize that they probably don't understand a very important liturgical principle or ecclesial principle, which is lex orandi, lex credendi. Rocky, why is this adage kind of really important to understand when discussing liturgical things? Why is it important to understand yeah. that principle? Yeah, it's a good question. The uh, So the law of prayer is the law of belief. Um, I think what you have to say about that, you have to say a few things about one, the church is the guardian of souls, right? She uh, was instituted by Christ for one purpose and one purpose only, right? To give glory to God through the salvation of souls, right? Um, ultimately, all things are for the glory of God, and nowhere is that more powerfully done and wonderfully done than in in the saving of souls, right? Which like, to glorify means to manifest excellence, right? It's the manifestation of excellence. What more manifests God's excellence than saving someone like me? <laughs> he must be pretty great. Um, so um, that's the purpose of the church. But that means that anything that falls within the realm of the moral, spiritual, intellectual, psychological good 
of the human person is the immediate care of the church, which is why the church can talk about politics, which is why she can talk about economics and philosophy and theology, right? And she can talk about, uh, she could even talk about taxes, right? Under a certain angle, right? In the sense that this is unjust, doing something that is unjust, or this is just and doing something that is just, right? Christ talked about taxes, rendered to God what is God's and to Caesar what is Caesar's, right? Anything that belongs to the good, moral good of the human person is the immediate care of the church. But then the question has to be asked, how does the church lead the faithful to the knowledge and love of God properly? Um, and many different ways, encyclicals, doctrines, cate catechisms, um, ca a catechesis instruction from the priest or whoever, but the principal way that she does it is through the sacraments because they are the principal means by which the grace won by Christ on the cross is dispensed to us, right? That's, that's how we get them principally. It's not the only way we get them. They can happen extraordinarily, but that's the normal means of salvation is the sacraments. Um, now, because we are spiritual and material creatures, um, we're in one sense amazing creatures created by God because we have an immaterial principle that we can know and love God, but we're also the lowest of all knowing creatures because we're material. So we have to come to the spiritual through matter, right? You can't see grace, right? Christ is hidden in, in sacred species. We don't see him. We only see him with the eyes of faith, right? It looks like bread. It tastes like wine, et cetera, et cetera. We can't get directly at the spiritual except through the material, which is why sacraments always have a material component. Water, wine, bread, oil, the priest's actions, the words, whatever. Those bring us to the spiritual realities. Now, what that means is, is that the principal way that the church teaches her faithful um, what to believe is by the sacred signs themselves, the sacramental actions the, um, the sacramental realities pointing to them. But once you see that, you realize, well, not all signs are created equal. Some signs are better than others, right? A sign is a certain reality which points to another reality other than itself, right? Smoke signifies fire, signifies fire a footprint signifies the animal, a wedding ring signifies marriage, right? So on and so forth. The material, to the extent that the material element of the sacramental reality is deficient. To that extent, will its ability to signify a spiritual reality be um, hindered and diminished, right? So the greater the sign value of the material sacramental part of, of the sacraments, the more are we going to be led to what's going on. So you take an example, like in the mass, Right. If you walk into and I don't mean to say this can only happen in the traditional Latin mass. Right. But let's just take because that's what we're talking about. Let's talk about the TLM. If you walk into a traditional Latin mass with your children and it's quiet and it's reverent and everybody's on their knees praying and, and there's no chit chat, nobody's on their phone. And um, then the priest walks in and he doesn't even you might as well not even exist. And he looks like he's about to go do the most important thing he's ever done in his life. And then he begins and it's in another language. And there's this mysterious, gorgeous, strange music just just filling the whole chapel and there's incense filling the chapel and you can't really see what he's doing but he's being so careful and everybody's got their head bowed and and he's he turns around every once in a while and again you don't exist and he only gets communion kneeling and on the tongue and he's so careful with his fingers and all these things right now when i tell my six-year-old 
That's Jesus up there. All those other things that I just pointed out fit perfectly with the truth of the reality, but that's Jesus. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Now, if a priest gets up in the pulpit and starts talking about how it's the real presence of Christ, and it could be the greatest sermon ever, right? And many of these things might not be his fault, but people are talking and they're chomping on gum and maybe they're dressed inappropriately and they're walking up the aisle kind of distracted and then G- the priest gives them the host and they grab it and kind of do one of these things and, and they're, they're leaving early and the music is very similar to the music you hear when you're having a barbecue, right? And the priest's cracking jokes and all these different things, right? Um, then when you hear that's Jesus, you're like, huh, hmm. I believe that's Jesus, but it's harder to be brought there because it's almost at odds with all those little signs along the way. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. yeah so sure. The law of prayer, how we pray teaches us in the end how what we believe. And you might not see it overnight, it might take a week, year, whatever, but you're going to see that the better the liturgy is, the more reverent the people who stay there will have deeper faith mm. by and large. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So I want to, I want to move towards, and that's a really great setup to this sort of next part, because again, whenever I, I hear seriously theological and liturgical debates regarding the mass, like I said earlier, I think it all boils down to this point. What is the mass? What is the purpose of the mass? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what are the signs and symbols of the mass in particular, especially the traditional Latin mass that you think better reflects this reality, which is the mass is a sacrifice. You know, the Eucharist is the memorial of Christ's pa- Passover. Um, what, 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 what are some of those things that, that we can specifically see in the Latin mass that points to that? Yeah, so there's, there's a lot of things to say, like, what, what is the most fitting way to celebrate the sacrifice, right? Which is what it is. It's a sacrifice. And then there's another question, which I think is your question, is what are the things done in the traditional Latin mass that more clearly signify this is a sacrifice? Um, So one way to see it, this is just, there's so many examples, but one way to see it is um, that, and what's great about this one that I'm going to mention is that you can also get it in a Novus Ordo, right? So this is not really unique to the TLM, but it would it would never be abandoned by the TLM in a million years, right? Yeah. A priest is a mediator between God and man, Mm. okay? His job is to go between God on behalf of man to offer things to God to appease him and to ask things for him, sorry, ask things from him to give to us. So he goes between, right? Mm. Now, you're all in the pews. The priest walks through the aisle. He's one of the people, right? And then he enters the sanctuary, Right. So that's one thing. Just notice that communion rails. Mm. Right. They're not just so that are they're not for the sake of our needs. Huh? Right. It's not just so that we, we don't have to kneel on marble. Right? right. It's because this is blocked off. This is the holy of holies. This is the sanctuary. Right. Where no one goes who's not deputed or extensions of his deputization to perform the sacred sacrifice. Right. So he leaves the people. He enters the sanctuary. The sanctuary is closed. Then he ascends the steps and he begins the sacred action at the altar facing God, but facing the same direction as you. So him interposed between us and God shows that he's mediating, right? But him coming from us and standing in the same direction as us shows that he's one of us, but him at the altar 
and us blocked off by the sanctuary and also by the fact that we sometimes we can't see what he's doing and the canon's silent, right? Yeah. This is a sacred action that in some sense and beautifully, we're not really allowed to see, mm. right? And you get that so powerfully. Once the, I mean, really you get this in the whole map, but once the canon starts, notice this, if the, if the canon started and everybody in the church left, the priest wouldn't know. He wouldn't right. care, right? Because <laughs> he's, what's he doing? He's at an altar, not a table, offering a sacred sacrifice, first and foremost, not for himself and not for us. It is for God, right? The canon starts, to you, most merciful Father. This is about you, God. And in your mercy, you've made it about us too as a means of salvation, right? right. But the sacrament is complete after the sacred action right? You think about it, it's unique in that respect. All the other sacraments aren't complete until they're given to the recipient, right? All of them. Marriage, they have to get married. Confession, they have to give their sins, and then they have to be absolved, right? Holy, uh, holy orders, hands have to be placed in oil. Confirmation, oil, right? Baptism, water. Mass, once it's consecrated, the sacred action has been performed. The reality is there, and then something secondary happens. The use of that sacrament is given to us, right? But you get all that so powerfully in the fact that the priest, he's so clearly doing something that he is all about, and we don't need to be there because it's about him doing something for us, on behalf of us, to God, right? And it's yeah. about God first and foremost, right? And you, you disappear in the TLM. It's just amazing, right? Yeah. There's no... The priest isn't at all trying to make sure you feel welcome and make sure you're following along and make sure you feel comfortable. He's like, sit down, be quiet, and be in the presence of the eternal sacrifice of the son to the father. Yeah. It's so much more powerfully conveyed in the traditional Latin. So you mean, you mean, are you talking about specifically like the odd oriented posture? It's that, but all those things that I listed, right? Like the sanctuary, odd oriented posture. The fact that no unvested laity or women are in the sanctuary. Right. Right. Oh, it's sexist. It's misogynist. No, it's not. It's the priests are men. And everybody that's involved in any part of the sacred action, even in the lowest way, you know, the little kid who just kneels there because he's eight and they don't trust him to hold the creed. They don't trust him to hold anything. Right. He's an extension of the priest. So he should be male and he should be vested. Right. You right. never see when the mask goes on at a TLM, nobody's ever in the sanctuary who's unvested. That's true. Whether you know it or not, that has an impression on you. Sure. Right. It makes an impression on you that this is other, right? The autorientum, the canon being silent, the canon being in another language, all the signs of the cross and all the genuflections, all of this is just, okay, this is this is serious. This is really, really serious. And it should be like this if it really is a sacrifice of our Lord. You know, maybe we could have at another time, we can talk specifically about autorientum because <clears throat> I, what's interesting uh, here in the local church, I am starting to see more parishes and Novus Ordo parishes, a move towards an autorientum posture. Now the music is questionable. Some of the other things that they're doing is still kind of interesting, but I am seeing more priests choose or more comfortably celebrate mass out orientum and i would love yeah. to have a complete episode on that because 
I will I would love to talk a little bit more about the historical uh, significance of ad orientum, but really the eschatological significance of ad orientum and how when the priest faces the same direction as a people towards the liturgical east, it, it is a reminder of our heavenly home. You know, there's that there's that part in Genesis where we always forget, but that that little distinction there where Adam and Eve were kicked out to the east uh, or the west of the garden. And so their pilgrimage is meant east to go eastward, which is this this symbol of of of, of heaven and, and God's glory. So I, I would love to talk a little bit about Ad Oriente because I do think that if we're going to make any sort of serious liturgical changes, if we're going to try to uh, bring back bring back the notion of sacri- sacrifice of mass, I think if there's one thing worth fighting for, it is fighting for a deeper knowledge and understanding of the Ad Oriente posture because that yeah, I- signifies it. I agree completely. I think it's hard, what's hard too is that we we tend to forget about what the liturgical changes have done to our priests, mm. right? Um, so if you think about how easy it could be for a priest to be distracted celebrating versus popular, yeah, right. Um, there's so many distractions for him, but when he faces the same direction as the people, he might be bored at first if he's not used to it. But at a certain point, he's got to be like. It's just me and you, Lord. Mm, yeah. It's just, it's just me and you. And there's nothing to distract me, right? No naughty kids in the front row. I'm trying to do this, right? No, you know, old couple talking or whatever it is, right? It's just me and you, Lord. And <coughs> he is going to be slowly drawn into that if he gives his heart to the mass, right? Um, yeah, I completely agree. Honor is huge. Well, the other thing too, last point on this on this thing, but the other thing too is... Um, the Novus Ordo, the, the, the rubrics, the, the germ, the general structure of the Roman Missal, it still presupposes that the priest is facing the same direction as the lay faithful because, and I've spoken to some priests who caught this, there, there are actually six different points in the mass, in the germ, where it it tells the priest to like look towards the faithful. Mm-hmm. Uh, so again, it even, even the germ is assuming that the priest is right. facing the same right. Uh, so I, I, I find that I find, so going back to your, 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 your point of, you know, the priest being less distracted, uh, well, the, the missile actually, uh, is, is worded in a way where he can focus completely on God and not the people, unless it specifically tells him to do so. Um, yeah, okay. great pre- sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. There's a great priest in, uh, Phoenix, Catherine of Siena. Um, and he, when I noticed that he was he would kind of do things which I don't think, I think are technically allowed in the Novus Ordo. They, they are technically allowed, but they're not demanded, right? And he'd kind of take parts of um, the traditional Latin mass, which he believed to be more reverent, and he would just bring them to the, to the um, Novus Ordo. And it really had a huge impact, right? It's a beautiful chapel. It only has one high ascending altar with the tabernacle connected to the altar. There's a <coughs> communion rail. And then one thing I noticed, right, little stuff like this, like the canon's always silent in his Novus Ordo. Oh. Right? Right. And as soon as he says the words of consecration, he genuflects, then he elevates, then he genuflects again. Right? Mm-hmm. It's these little things that, for whatever reason, only God knows we're, we're done away with. Um that have an impact, right? And his is the most no, most relevant Novus Ordo around. This is the <laughs> when I was there, right? Um, and it's he's bringing things in, and it, it it has an impact on you. 
if I'm listening to this show and I'm feeling, you know, I was feeling hesitant, but now maybe I'm inspired. I've always wanted to go check out a TLM. You know, what advice would you give to someone wanting to start attending the Latin Mass, uh, but is but is hesitant? You know, they're hesitant about yeah. about it. Um, well, I, I think I, I think what you should first think about is that this is not some new fad that some crazy people in the church think you should try, right? This is the mass of the entire Catholic world up until 1970, right? So to have a kind of predisposed, um, avert, to be kind of uh, have an aversion to it beforehand, I'd say check that initially and really work through what that means, right? I'm against the mass, the only mass of Therese of the Zoo and Catherine of Siena <laughs> and Augustine and Benedict and Thomas Aquinas, right? And Ambrose, I'm against that. Oh, okay, that's dubious. Um, don't allow yourself to be scared away by the unfortunate stigma that now exists on the traditional movement. Um, and it is there and Unfortunately, what's happened is the people, a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of the people who have a voice in this discussion, um, they do love the traditional Latin mass, but what's happened is they started to harp on every other little thing, right? That now um, there, is this, there is this stigma, this notion that if you are a TLM person and you love the TLM, um, you are a holier than thou, pretentious, um, judgmental person who thinks going to a Novus Ordo is evil and who thinks JP2's canonization is dubious and thinks to show your knees is a mortal sin. And if you don't wear a veil, you're going to be in a special ring of hell. And um, luminous and, mysteries and value. <laughs> yeah, luminous <laughs> mysteries are a farce and all these other things, right? And um, what, what, I, what I would encourage of all ages, but young people too, is that uh, just go to the Mass and let everything else um, be exactly what it is, accidental, unimportant, right? So somebody online thinks that um, you shouldn't step foot in a Novus Ordo church. Who cares what he thinks, right? Let's, if it's about the mass, let's make it about the mass, right? Go experience the mass, the mass of um, the entire history of the Catholic church minus the last 60 years. Right. This is this is our story. I mean, it belongs to us as well. It's our, it's our it is literally, and this is not an exaggeration. It's it's our spiritual birthright, right? Mm. It's our patrimony, right? Um, if you're looking at the whole body of Christ, right? So my generation didn't really grow up with it. I can get it now, right? But it wasn't super um, easy to get. My father's generation didn't get it at all, right? But when we talk about spiritual patrimony. We're not talking about merely what we got from our parents, right? There's a sense in which that's what they handed on to us, right? But if we are one mystical body of Christ, which means in the sense that we're in the state of grace and baptized, we're part of the same body as St. Thomas Aquinas, who's in heaven, right? Yeah. And St. Augustine and St. John and St. Peter, right? That's our spiritual body. That's our mystical body, which means it's what the whole church has handed on from age to age to age. And when you look at that scope, it's no question that traditional Latin mass is our birthright, right? That, that's, what, that's what was developed 
over centuries and centuries and what was so carefully guarded and handed down as the most precious gift the church had to offer, right? Um, so just go experience it um, and don't allow any of the accidental, unimportant noise and bickering and, and vitriol to cloud your judgment or to mar your experience of the greatest thing possibly that God could have given us. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really, that's really great advice. Okay, fine. I, I understand what you're saying, Rocky. Now I actually walk into the church, right. And I'm, I'm actually there at mass. Um, I see people flipping through missiles. I see people praying the rosary. I see people completely focus intensely on what's on, 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 on the mass what do I do there? What am I, what am I, what am I, what am I supposed to do? You hear this all the time. Um, I like to understand what's going on at mass. Right. And I find that's kind of that, that as an objection to going to the TLM. Right. Now I think um, this might, might not be true of everyone who makes this objection, but I think that's actually revelatory of a misconception of what the mass is on their part and what it means to participate right? You kind of see this now. It's like, oh, the people want to participate. Okay, have them bring up the gifts <laughs> or have them, have them do a reading or have them clean the sacristy. It's like, okay, fine. I, I, we don't need to talk about those. But whether you do that or not, that's not what the church has ever meant by participating in the mass ever, right? So when I hear the objection, I like to understand what's going on. Um, I want to make this distinction. There's a difference between knowing what they're saying and knowing what they're doing. Okay? Um, and there's even a further distinction between being able to read Latin and knowing what the words are, what the words are being are signifying at that moment. Right. A little bit of education goes a long way. Right. So, for example, maybe you wouldn't be able to parse every word in the Gloria. Fine. Do you have any idea what's going on when he says Gloria in excelsis Deo et in terra pax minibus and we all stand up? You got any idea what's going on? And if you have no idea, it'll take you about 25 seconds to learn. This is the great doxology where we give praise and thanksgiving and we ask God for forgiveness of our sins and we ask him for the things we need and we glorify the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay, well, now you know what's going on, yeah. right? So don't fall into that trap of, oh, I don't know Latin and the missile's too big. Okay. The mass is a sacred action of the, the unbloody sacrifice of Christ on the cross, where he's made substantially present body, blood, soul, and divinity. If you get that, you get the mass, right? And it's being offered to the Father, right? By Christ, the priest and the person of Christ, right? What's being offered is his body, blood, soul, and divinity, and he's offering it on behalf of us. And you know he's doing that at the altar. And you know that what it means to participate is to completely let go of your self-will, to immolate yourself with Christ and unite everything that you are, everything that you have, all of your hopes and dreams and desires and fears and sins and temptations, to offer it all to God to either purify or to take away or to offer as an offering and to unite it with Christ as he's offered to the Father so that you become, through the merits of Christ, an acceptable sacrifice. If you get that, which you can get, apparently, I don't know, what did we just do? That was like two minutes, <laughs> right? Well, then you can enter mass and say, I don't know what, I don't know what particular words he's saying, but I know right now this is the canon and I know because it's silent. So I know right now that this is the, this is the sacred action. 
So I am going to put everything away from my mind. and I'm just going to unite myself to Christ crucified. Mm. That's the best thing you do in mass anyway, right? Yeah, Whether right. you're fluent in Latin or don't know a word of it, nobody ever does better than what I just said, uniting yourself to the cross. And you don't need to know Latin to do that, right? right? So um, don't, be, don't let people scare you away by really uh, specious um, objections, kind of like the one where it's, the, there's never been a worse time for the argument, I don't know Latin, mm. right? At a certain point, Latin stopped being spoke, uh, was no longer spoken by a, by a people, and it quote unquote died, but it was still the language of the church. And for most of human history, most people who went to mass were illiterate, right? right? And they didn't know Latin, right? So you get somebody in Spain who doesn't know Latin, right? But he's, he's a farmer and he can't read. It wouldn't matter if it was printed anyway. Now is the, be- is the worst time to make that argument. If you're 14 and you're in America, you can probably read, right? And they give you missiles in there. You don't even need to buy one. So if you're poverty stricken, right? Don't worry. They got, they got stuff there for you, right? right? So if you're really concerned with knowing every single word's being said, no problem, right? So that argument doesn't work either. So don't worry about... Um, understanding quote unquote everything that's going on right don't fall into that trap of thinking that that's what it means to get the mass that's what it means to participate right what it means to participate is to pray and to unite yourself to christ in the mass. right wow well this was a great conversation thank you so much rocky for uh joining us today um i'm sure we'll have you back because i definitely want to talk about that ad orientum posture that uh I think it's worth exploring and maybe we can even talk a little bit about sacred music and uh, kind of explore that topic a bit more. Uh, but again, thank you so much for joining us today. And um, Rocky, you also have a blog I, uh, that uh, if people wanted to read some of your work, uh, how do they find your, your, your work? I got to get it back up and running, but it's called habit of viewing, which is taken from a, uh, a quote from the great St. John Henry Newman. One of the greatest. Great. Uh, Yeah. So thank you for listening to this episode of Real Catholic Man, the show where Ryan talks about all things Catholic, especially as it pertains to building a culture of authentic men. If you like the podcast or got something out of this episode, please share it with your friends and family. Subscribe, like, comment, rate, and review if you have it. Finally, as a gesture of our appreciation, we'd like to offer you an exclusive discount code for listening to our podcast. Please visit www.discountcatholicstore.com and type podcast at checkout where you'll receive 20% off your entire cart. Thank you for listening and God bless.